Father, we put ourselves again in your hands. You're the Lord. You are God. You can do anything. You've promised to hear our prayers, and your promises are true. And our prayer this morning is that you would send your Holy Spirit, even as you have promised. Speak to us. You've promised to put thy words in my mouth, and I am clinging to that, asking that you would do it and glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak on the topic of unbelief this morning. Now, I don't have to ask you if you know what unbelief is. I guess uh, most people would tell us that unbelief is not believing something. Well, that's not strictly true. That's not what unbelief is. That's probably disbelief. In any case, that's an oversimplification of the word unbelief. The unbelief I want to talk to you about is harder to discern, I think, harder to identify, it's hidden, it's very deceptive, and has more to do with distrust uh, than it has to do with not believing or assenting to a truth or, or, or saying, I don't believe the lie. Uh, it's more than that. So this is what we want to look at this morning. I've had you turn, I think, to Mark chapter 9. I didn't, I guess I haven't. I'm asking you now. Turn to Mark chapter 9. Now, we're going to look at a story here which involves the disciples of Jesus Christ. The disciples were very sure at this point in this story, they were very sure that they had faith. Now, we would think as well that if anybody should have faith, the disciples would have faith. But in this story, they find themselves sorely lacking in faith. And in case you don't know, and I'm making noise here, try it higher. Faith is not having confidence that what I think will happen will happen, by the way. That is not faith. Faith is trusting whatever happens, trusting God in whatever he allows in our lives. That's what faith is. And so you don't go around sitting thinking, because I believe this will happen, that it will happen because you believe it. That's total nonsense. As a matter of fact, that's Hinduism. And that's how I used to think uh, when I grew up as a Roman Catholic. I, I'm not a, trying to insult any Roman Catholics, if there are any here. Just the same, that was my approach to faith when I was young. That's the approach we had in the Catholic Church. If you believed something, then it would happen just because you believed it. Well, that's total nonsense. It isn't so. Faith is trusting God whatever happens. That's what faith is. Likewise, unbelief is not limited to the atheist who says, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the Bible. In the Bible. Anytime we do even the smallest thing contrary to the will of God, we are saying in this thing that I know better than God. I don't trust God to handle this matter. That is unbelief. That's what that is. Okay, anytime we complain, none of us ever complain, right? Yes, any time we have a sour disposition, any time we are unhappy, it's because we don't realize that the God we serve is real and that, and that he is all-powerful, that he actually loves us, and he can manage our lives. Can he manage your life? Is he managing it rightly? <laughs> of course he does. Everyone will say, yes, oh, God is so good and he can manage my life. Why then do you ever complain? Well, you never complain. Why then do I ever complain? Yeah. The story. That's where we are. One day, Jesus commanded nine of his disciples to camp at the bottom of a mountain. And he took... 
Peter, James, and John with him to the top of the mountain. And overnight he was transfigured. And you know that Moses and Elijah appeared to them. And it was a wonderful time for the three that were up on the, on the mountain. In the morning they returned to the base of the mountain. And so here we are. That's the beginning of the story. We're looking at Mark chapter 9 verses 14 to 16 now. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people that when they beheld him, that is Jesus, were greatly amazed and running to him saluted him. It doesn't say why they were amazed. Maybe his face was shining for the encounter that he'd had overnight. I'm, I don't know. Anyway, he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? Apparently, a man had brought a son, his son, with him to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. The son was, was possessed by a demon. And the disciples were not able to heal this son. Now, the disciples had been very, very confident that they could do this. Now, the reason they were so confident at this time in this story is because... I was going to say two weeks earlier. It could have been three weeks earlier. I don't know. Just a little while earlier, they had been sent by God to do just that. And somehow, a couple of weeks later, the same issue that they had faced a couple of weeks earlier, they failed at the very same thing. And the scribes were rubbing their noses in it, of course, while they were rubbing their noses in it until Jesus appeared to confront them. Verse 17 to 18. Mark 9. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he takes him, he tears him, and he foams, and he gnashes with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Why do you think they could not? What do you think the problem was? Well, in verse 19, it's quite clear, right? We'll read verse 19. He, Jesus, answered him, the Father, and said, and then pointing his, his statement to the disciples, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. Now, the way it's written here, it sounds like Jesus is really annoyed. <laughs> He's really angry with his disciples. But friends, there's something really, really strange happening here. Like I said a few weeks earlier, Jesus sent his disciples and empowered them to do this very kind of miracle. If you'll keep your finger here, and by the way, always keep your finger in Mark chapter 9, no matter, no matter where we go, because we'll always come back to it and we will finish with it. So I go to book of Matthew now, Matthew chapter 10. And, and, and we're going to that time a couple of weeks earlier. Matthew chapter 10. And we're looking at verse 1 in Matthew 10. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out. And to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease, verse 7 and 8. And as ye go, he told them, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. So did they go? Yes, they did. Did they perform the miracles that he empowered them to perform? 
Yes, they did. Didn't it take faith at that time to do that? Well, of course. And they had the faith. <laughs> it's wonderful. And then, here comes a father with a son. Obviously, they did this before. If you did it before, you know how to do it again. And it's not like they said to the father, um, sorry, we've lost our faith. We can't do this. They didn't, they didn't feel any loss of faith. They thought that they could do it. Now, supposing your pastor should come here today and he would say to you, I want you to go to Columbus this afternoon, heal the sick, raise the dead, restore sight to the blind, cast out demons. Would you go? <laughs> would you attempt it? Is there any reasons why we can't do that today? Well, obviously there's a reason. Well, I can't tell you what the reason is. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Are we not Christians? Do we not have faith? Has Jesus not, with all his promises, has he not empowered us to do similarly? I mean, shouldn't it be that way? Have you ever attended someone who's sick in bed, I mean really sick in bed, and your heart just goes out to them, and it seems like there's no reason for it. This is a mother that has little children. She can't pass now. These little children will be without a mother. It doesn't make any sense. Surely God wants to heal them. Surely God wants to heal her. And so you think to yourself, what, what if I said, rise, take up your bed and walk? Would it happen? Should I say that? Have you ever thought that way? I've had that thought many times when in the sick room with someone and thought, man, in the days of Jesus, they, they could do that. Jesus could do that. And he said, the works that I do shall you do also. And greater works than these shall you do, he said in John chapter 14, verse 12. So why not? Somehow I've never found the courage. <laughs> yes. Would you? Yeah, I think that's probably the reason. We are not humble enough. We are not prepared for this. And the Lord can't do a lot of things through us today because we would not give him the glory. We would, well, as a matter of fact, I think we're beginning to unravel what's going on right here. I think, yeah. So is it unbelief not to try? Well, I can't answer that because I don't know the answer. So now here we have a father. He brings his possessed son to the disciples. And they did not say, sorry, we've lost our faith. <laughs> they didn't think they'd lost their... They, they, they just ran into it confidently because two weeks earlier they had done the same thing. But I want you to see something. Go back now to Mark chapter 9 and, and again to the verse uh, 19 in Mark chapter 9. And he answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Now, friends, this is the key. These words, how long shall I be with you? There's something implied in this. Can you hear? Can you see what's implied here? Jesus is right there. He, I mean, if God was standing beside you and he said, speak the words and he will be healed, would the person be healed? Yeah, because I spoke the words? Or because Jesus is standing beside me and he's promising to give me the power. This is the problem. How long shall I be with you? I'm right with you. And what are you doing? You trust yourself more than you trust me. This is what was going on. They had had the experience and therefore because they had had the experience, they go on and face something similar and they think that the power was in them. It wasn't in them. 
They were taking the glory to themselves. And so, not trusting Jesus, but you couldn't have gotten them to say that. Oh, we don't trust Jesus. <laughs> they would never have said that. But they were trusting themselves in this thing. And anyway, go to Joshua chapter 1. The book of Joshua chapter 1. It's one of my favorite verses. I use it all the time. I'd be surprised if I didn't use it already sometime this week. But anyway, just the same. We're in Joshua chapter 1, uh, looking at verse 5. Joshua has just been elected to be the leader of the, the children of Israel. Moses just died. And Joshua is a little bit nervous about this, intimidated by the situation. And uh, I, I don't know, uh, starting with a couple of chapters ahead of this, uh, Jesus through Moses is saying to Joshua be not afraid be not discouraged or, or dismayed don't be afraid be very courageous be strong and very courageous over and over and over again and he says that in Joshua chapter 1 as well but here's the promise in verse 5 there shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life in other words there's not enough devils in hell there's not enough men on earth to keep you from succeeding in the thing that I'm giving you to do why because you are all powerful no no watch as I was with Moses I will be with you I will not fail you who is it that doesn't fail it's God that doesn't fail now let me ask you did Joshua ever fail Oh yeah, in the matter of AI, didn't he fail? In the matter of the Gibeonites that came all dressed up in rags and with moldy bread and all the rest and deceived the children of Israel, Joshua failed. Now wait a minute, didn't the Lord say, I will not fail you? Did God fail him? No, what was the problem with Joshua? He didn't pray, you remember? Ah, AI, that's nothing. And Jericho was, Jericho was a piece of cake and it's way bigger than AI. We don't even need to bring on, let's take 3,000 men. We, yeah, we can handle this. Just no problem at all. They didn't even bother to pray whether God wanted them to do that or not. Yeah, so this is exactly what's happening with the disciples. This is exactly the same thing. In the matter of the Gibeonites, it's the same thing. They come with a deception and nobody thinks to get on their knees and say, Lord, what are we supposed to do here? Doesn't the Bible say, acknowledge me in all your ways and I will direct your path? Well, if we don't acknowledge him, well, he could be, I mean, God could say like Jesus said, how long shall I be with you? <laughs> and you don't believe. That's what was happening. And so we have promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what the Bible says. Isaiah 41.10, we sang it the other day, I think. If we didn't, we should have. Yeah. Have not I? No, no. I've got that all wrong. Fear thou not, I am with thee. Be not afraid. Right? I forget. <laughs> you know it anyway, <laughs> what it says. Are these promises true? Yes. Were they true to the disciples in the days of Jesus? Yes. yes. Are they still true today? Yes. They're true. They're true if we're leaning on the Lord. If we trust the promise because of the God that's behind the promise, they're not true because it's me. Because there's nothing in me. Back to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we're looking at verse 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the false spirit, saying unto, unto the, him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. 
And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he came, when he was come into the house, his disciple asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? Now here's the issue. And I, I'm been developing it anyway all, the, all this time. The disciples are asking themselves now, how come? I mean, how come? Two weeks ago we did this. We believed and it happened. We think we still believe. I don't remember losing my faith. And now nothing happens. Go to Matthew 17. Keep your finger here again. Matthew 17. And this is in Matthew 17 is the very same story. But the words are different. Matthew explains it a little differently. In Matthew 17, verse 19 and 20. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast them out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Isn't that beautiful? Nothing shall be impossible unto you. There was a time when my wife was wrestling as to whether, because we had heard there's 21, 28,000 orphans in, in Tanzania at a certain uh, district, and, and we were receiving letters from Africa. You need to come and help. Nobody is helping. There's all these orphans, and there's no one working for them. And my wife is thinking, well, you know, my husband is president of Eden Valley. I'm just going to pick up and go to Africa. I mean, uh, and it was a real struggle for her. And at one point, I had three grandchildren with me, and I'm having evening worship with the three grandchildren. Now, the kitchen was over there. My wife was in the kitchen. She was just leaning on the counter, listening from there. I'm speaking to three little children right here. Something. And I came to this verse in Matthew 17, verse 20, and uh, I, I forget what I was teaching the children, but when I read the words in verse 20, oh, I changed the place. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. I saw a light go on. It's true. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird thing, but I saw a light go on right there, and I looked. And it was like my wife's face lit up, and she knew right away she needed to go. Yeah. Nothing shall be, that's what she needed to hear. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. I mean, it was daunting going to Africa, 28,000 orphans in a certain district. Nobody's helping. And she's going to go there with nothing in her pocket. Because that's exactly what she did. Yeah. And the Lord blessed. So what was wrong with the disciples? Unbelief. And that's what the question that remains this morning. What is unbelief? We believe as much now as we believed two, two weeks ago. What had happened? Well, the answer is that Jesus had done something that they didn't like. And we're going to follow through. You know, he had taken Peter, James, and John up the mountain. And the others remained at the bottom of the mountain. And they became jealous. They became disheartened. They became angry with him. But friends, you can't be angry with God and, and still believe that he's God. <laughs> because if you believe that he's God, then the God can't make any mistakes. And he sends them, he takes three people up the mountain and keeps you down there. And you're jealous because he did that? No way. Does Jesus make any mistakes? 
No. Well, they were thinking he had made a mistake. He was playing favoritism, obviously. His favorite disciples, those guys, <laughs> always wanting to be the greatest. Yeah. Does God know better in any, sir, in any, in every circumstance? Yes, he does. Well, what about when he allows something bad to happen in your life? Does God still know better? Yes, he does. Yeah. They were jealous because they were not chosen. And so that led them to complaining because it wasn't fair. Which led them to have a negative attitude, of course, to be unhappy and criticizing. Now, had they trusted him, they never would have been jealous. Because they would have believed that he knows better than we do. Now, I, don't, I wish I could go up the mountain, but he has chosen not to take me. Therefore, it's all well because he knows better and it's better for me to be down here than up there for whatever reason. I don't understand, but I trust him. See, but that's not how it was. That's not how it was. They were focused on their grievances. They would simply, they should simply have trusted that Jesus knew what was best. Have you ever wondered why being believers, we are so powerless. The battle that they were fighting in that day, which maybe they didn't know they were fighting a battle, but the battle they were fighting in that day is the same battle that we have to fight every day ourselves. I don't know about you, but I can be easily frustrated. I can be easily short-fused, too. I can be easily discouraged or fearful or, or just name any negative word. By the way, there will be no negative words in the dictionary in heaven, if there's a dictionary in heaven. It won't be needed there. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, it'll cut the, it'll cut the dictionary by half, <laughs> I think. Yeah. yeah. Is there any real reason for discouragement? If you think about it, if there's a God in heaven that walks by your side, that is in full control of your life. He is the orderer of all our experiences. He only orders that which his providence sees best. If we could see the end from the beginning, we would choose no other way to be led. God is good. God is always good. If I'm discouraged, it doesn't make any sense at all because my God is my God. And he's with me. Wow. Any negativity that I reveal shows that I don't trust that God is in control or that he can manage my life. If I truly believed, I would never utter a word of doubt or fear or anger. So in our story, the selection of the three disciples awakened jealousy as if Jesus did not know what he was doing. And instead of strengthening their faith, and by the way, this is, this is for us now. These people, I mean... The circumstances were such as they were. They could not understand the circumstances. It didn't seem right to them, but they had a choice as to what to focus on. They didn't have to focus on the negative. There's a negative and a positive side almost to everything, right? And some people are just prone to be negative all the time. My wife says that's me sometimes. <laughs> Maybe it is. I think I'm positive. <laughs> yeah. But we don't have to be negative. We really don't. His words are true. His love is sure. His wisdom is unfailing. His strength is unequal. I mean, all the miracles he, could, he had performed for them and the love he had shown them, they could have focused right there and instead of focusing on their grievances. Well, anyway, if Jesus is God, he could not do anything wrong. 
and he would not do anything wrong. And if he never does anything wrong, then there's no reason for ever complaining. If we complain, then our complaint, whatever it is we're complaining about, says that God can't be trusted. That is what unbelief is. And in that state of mind, they entered into conflict with Satan. It's amazing. Just when, just when they had grieved the Holy Spirit of God, they decided to pick a fight with Satan. <laughs> well, you know what happened. They had no power. They couldn't do what they wanted to do. And now the trickiest part, if you'll go with me to Mark chapter 9, again, and we're looking at verses 28 and 29. And I say this is the trickiest part. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said to them, this kind can go forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. This kind of what? Oh, this kind of demon, of course, right? No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Do you think God is dependent on my fasting and prayer to deal with a demon? No, a demon is not a problem to God. Do you think that there are some demons that are hard for God to deal with and some demons that are easy for God to deal with? And some of them you have to pray really hard and fast so to give empower God somehow uh, to deal with it? No, that's not what it was all about. Jesus was talking about their unbelief. This kind of unbelief cannot be tamed except by fasting and prayer. That's what he was talking about. And the disciples had entered into the battle governed by the wrong spirit. Was the conflict they had entered into with the devil? No. The real conflict was with themselves. Friends, demons in a boy are not a problem to God. We could see it. Jesus walks over and just says, out of here. And he was out of here. And that's all there was to it, right? God has the power over demons and he created uh, angels that became demons. Yeah. But the wrong spirit in the disciples limited what God could do through them. And God is dependent on our choices. Isn't he? Yeah. So before doing battle with the enemy, they should have strengthened their faith by fervent prayer and fasting and humiliation of heart. And friends, listen. Our real problems are not with a lack of money or estranged family members, or ill health, or unemployment, or demons. Our real problem is with the demon within, the internal problems, the anger, the discouragement, the rebellion, the complaining, the fighting. This is, un is unbelief. And don't lose the lesson here. Fast and pray for strong faith. Fast and pray for a trust that will, will believe that God knows exactly what he's doing, and it's always good what he allows to come our way. Fast and pray for a positive attitude all the time, for the joy of the Holy Ghost. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now I'm beginning to understand what the joy of the Holy Ghost is all about. I mean, it, it, it's not rocket science. If God is standing by me, and he protects me, and he empowers me, and he fills my mouth with words to speak to you this morning. Whatever it is, God is there, and he's always a blessing. There isn't a thing in this world that would be discouraging to us. Now that's a mouthful, really. 
But it's true. If we only knew God and had confidence in God that he cares for us. God cares for you. And the outcome is pure joy under any circumstance. Now that's an idealism, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. We should be living life and the outcome should be pure joy under every circumstance. That's the truth. But boy, <laughs> it's not always the reality in our cases. But it can be. That's where God is leading us. In heaven, it will be that way. If it can be that way in heaven, why can't it be that way here? Ah, well, you know, we stub our toes here. <laughs> we hit our nails with a hammer here. We do all kinds of things that, that uh, are painful. Never mind. Never mind. You're not going to get to heaven and look back at your life experience and be able to point to a time where God made a mistake in your case. He, you won't be able to do it. And so there's no reason to be unbelieving. Shall we stand? Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I guess that I have been speaking about a, a wonderful ideal. And I know that it is true. I know that it is difficult also for us in a world of sin, in a world of corruption, in a world of lies. And some of the things that are happening are just mind-boggling for its wickedness in this world. And we know that we're in a dangerous place. Nevertheless, we will not stop believing that thou art God, that you know what you're doing, that your hand is over us, that nothing can touch us except by your permission, and that they have to get through you to get to us. And therefore, like no one else in the world, Heavenly Father, we have you and protection and blessing. Help us to live with that spirit in mind. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.